0: Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week, we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. A very, very good day to you. My name is Brad Zockel, and you are listening to the Questions About Heaven podcast a wonderful, wonderful day, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Everything was just wonderful and digestible, and the family all got along, and you just had a great time. I'm here in the barn studio, and yes, I did have a wonderful time. I'm just about over this cold. It has hung on for about the space of about nine days now, but I can't complain. I had my fill of pie, and especially, especially mashed potatoes. I do love homemade mashed potatoes, and so I was an absolute thief at the table and taking as much as I can. So, boy, I paid for it, man. I'm telling you what, my stomach was hurting, but worth every bit of it. And I hope that you had a wonderful time. We were able to share our favorite psalms around the table and uh, sharing blessings from God. We read Psalm 148, Psalm 116, Psalm 160, Uh, I'm sorry, 150. There are only 150 psalms in the uh, book of Psalms. And just wonderful promises. And even took a look over in Isaiah 65 at some of the prophetic uh, teachings there about the new heavens and the new earth. And so, I just want to share with you what a wonderful time we had and being able to share these things from our talks about heaven. Listen, I want you to know that um, if you want to... You're looking for a Christmas present to send to your dear ones, maybe some that are unsaved, and we have two books offering based on the most asked questions that I have whenever I'm on my social media ministry, and that would be uh, a book called Heaven, The Adventure Begins, and we have another book, What Is Heaven All About? And They're both available on Amazon, and each of the purchases, a portion of this goes toward our ministry, helping us move along as I am. Preparing the 2024 calendar and moving about last year was so much fun, and I'm looking forward to doing that again. If you'd like to learn more about us on our webpage, we'll then go to the—that's H E T Heaventour.com, C-O-M, theheaventour.com. Included in there is a map of where I have been, and it's going to include where I'll be going this next calendar year. And also, there's a section called Heaven Questions. You can put in a phrase uh, that might be based on a question you have about heaven. Every video that I've made through the different social media, and I have put in those key phrases, it'll pop up. You might have one, uh, a question about a particular subject in 12 or 15 different videos. They're all one minute to two minutes long. They'll come up and give you those answers. And so you can find that on theheaventour.com. Now, right now, we are starting our Christmas countdown, the Advent teaching. If you go on live streaming in the morning on YouTube at 8.30 a.m., first of all, Eastern Standard Time, you can go to TikTok, 8.30 to 9.25, we have our Christmas countdown, and that includes a Q&A time, like we always do. Then we move over to YouTube at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and from 9.30 to 10.30, We also have a continuation of that study, adding a few new things along with that. And we will have people that will trudge on over from TikTok into YouTube, carrying on for two hours. They're here listening. How anybody would want to listen to me for two hours is beyond me. But hey, they do it. And I appreciate that so much. And included in the TikTok time is uh, a half an hour of a Q&A, and then include it in the YouTube time. We have a half an hour of Q&A. You can type in your questions. And so uh, I invite you there. We're starting off. We started off yesterday in our Christmas countdown, and that's what we're going to do with our podcasts. So if you're not able to make one of the social media uh, outreaches, uh, one of the, uh, the social medium of uh, Instagram or maybe uh, YouTube or even Facebook, I'm on Facebook too, if you're not able to make those, then these podcasts are available to you. And what I want to do today as we introduce this study, answer a few general questions and then we can uh, just kind of dip our toe into the water about this wonderful subject. Give all these different uh, uh, characters in, the, in interplay, in, in weaving this wonderful tapestry of what's called the nativity story. Now nativity, the word just means birth story. My nativity is May 29th, 1959, Bellevue Hospital, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I think the birth certificate says 7.30 in the morning. Uh, from what I hear, the weather was fine uh, throughout uh, the Steel City. And I was born to Glenn Albert Zockel and Catherine Rose Zockel. That's my nativity story. It's my birth story. And you have one, too. Uh, the date, the time, the situation concerning the day of your birth. Well... With Jesus, this is so sacred and so honored, it's sort of like the word almost became exclusive to the story of Jesus' birth. And rightfully so. I mean, you know, it's giving us this information of a very, very sacred thing. And so we have a a wonderful story, which is known as the Nativity Story. Where do we find it? In In the Bible, where do you find this? Well, there are four biographical books talking about Jesus. The Jesus biography books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you're going to find two of those four books deal with the nativity story. That is Matthew and Luke. Now, where in those books? You'll find it in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and in Luke chapter 1 and 2. You will see these stories that are are laid out in very fine detail about the coming of Jesus Christ in his first appearance on earth as the God-man. Wonderful, wonderful truths here. So as we're going through, we'll look through these and then see the cross-references through the scripture, look at the historical backgrounds of the stories, uh, the, the, of the story, the narrative of uh, Christ being born. And so what I want to do today is give you a general outline of, uh, well, no, no, you know, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. if we're going to have a real, real good narrative in any uh, presentation, of an epic uh, presentation uh, such as this. We want to know about the bad guy, right? Now, we know the enemy, Satan, is trying everything. We've seen this intimated in the book of Revelation, as we've been studying the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, uh, the, the dragon, as Satan is known, is going to do everything to stop the birth of the Messiah. You can read that on your own. Revelation chapter 12, you'll see all of this activity going on. But then it will also be that there is going to be an attempt by the deceiver to use humans. And that's what we see here. Well, who's this bad guy that we're talking about? Well, (laughs) let's take a look. We have somebody that may be on your radar as being, well, this isn't the greatest guy, you know, and after all, he did cause for, you know, a disruption. And yes, he did try to stop uh, Jesus in his infancy. But let me tell you more about this one known as Herod. I mean, we have all these different uh, uh, ones that are going back and forth in the narrative. We have Gabriel. There's even Simeon. Anna, uh, Anna uh, that is involved in stories later on as Christ is growing up. But uh, the wise men. Great intrigue. We'll talk about this. But I just wanted to start something a little bit backward. How many times have you had... A nativity story and you start off with the bad guy. Let me give you a background of this. You know when we're talking about Herod and we take a look in the scriptures and we see this one. Is he a good guy? Well, of course not. You know, Herod is this wicked, wicked leader here. And when we see him, we have a number of different kings known as Herod. But the one that we're talking about here, Herod, this one, Matthew chapter 2, for example, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen a star in the east were come to, what? Worship him. Now, listen very carefully to this. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Remember that phrase. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. There's a reason for that. I'll continue on. Verse 4. And when Herod had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And they go on with this, the the the, uh, prophecy of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Okay, you have somebody here who's very, very troubled. And uh, the whole city starts quaking with him. And when that happens, you will find out later on, there's a horrible thing that has been done, down to verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men whenever they took off, he was exceeding wroth. the King James Version. "wroth" means, you know, he was livid, sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. Now, we don't know how big that area would be. It would not be a whole nationwide, but it's it's, it's bad, even if it was five children. It's a horrible thing, so he's done a horrible... Who is this Herod? Is he just some dumpy guy that just got angry and went overboard? Let's take a look here, all right? His name is Herod. I'm going to give you a brief overview of him. We'll go into some more. And this will kind of get us going into this wonderful nativity story. Okay? Now, after Antipater, Herod the Great, in 40, Herod the Great now, okay, in 40 BC, he was known as Herod the Great, he was elected, quote, king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. Now, I want you to think about this. They have just said in Matthew chapter 2, we're looking for the king of the Jews. No doubt he said, well, here I am. Uh, no, you're, you're a funny old man. We're looking for a child. We've come, he's been born, we want to worship him. That king of the Jews. Well, the reason one of the things will cause a great shock, but wait a minute, Herod says, I was officially given the title king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. Now, this one, he is a mess. He married the teenage niece of Antigonus. She was Miriam the first. Now, he did this to secure a claim to the throne And gain Jewish favor, because here is a a highlight of all of this. Herod was not a Jew. And we'll talk some more about that. Now, he already had a wife, this is the thing. So he marries this teenage niece of Antigonus in order to make a political move, but they've got a problem. He had a wife, her name was Doris. He already had a three-year-old son, Antipater, another Antipater. This one is his child, Well, to get rid of them, he banished them. So when somebody says, well, what about your wife? He says, what wife? I don't have a wife here in this land. He had banished them. Now, he had identified himself as a Jew, but he was with the Herodians. This is an absolutely, um, what would you say, just a very, very wild lifestyle, a very hedonistic uh, type of a, a life. The Herodians were known for that. But he tried to identify himself as uh, a Jew. Now he was oh he could build, he was just they they were disgusted by him, but the Jewish culture could not deny this man knows how to design build, and architecture you can't you can't top him. He built the Second Temple. And today you can see just the remains of them. It's known as the Western Wall, or more famously, the Wailing Wall. And I want to remind you, that's just the foundation. You get an idea. I'm told that that was that the second temple, Herod's temple, was the tallest building in the world at the time. And this is an absolute incredible, there are many writings about it's magnificent, how it would reflect the sun and. It was almost blinding with with the beauty of the outside, overlaid with precious uh, stoneware. Bethlehem, on the other hand, was a nondescript little small village. And uh, when we talk about the male children there, whenever he was going to have this attack, most uh, uh, of the Bible research I saw said, even at the most, this village would not have more than 20 children uh, in this whole thing, and whatever that would be, it's still horrible, but we're not talking about thousands and thousands of children. He was trying to zero in on that area now, let me go back. okay, so he built the the, the temple magnificence in its structure, but also the Olympic games in the area were faulted they were they were going bankrupt. He did a a, a brilliant political maneuver he supported. The financially strapped Olympic Games and he told the athletes of the time that uh, the niche of society all athletes and he said you'll never have to worry I've paid off all the debts of the Olympic Games and I will make sure they will be financially solvent from here on out so he then, now there's a divided opinion about this man they're not sure about him mentally or uh, any morals but he can deliver what our needs were he would die of a horrible death and uh, all. When I was in Israel and I was over to uh, his Herod's castle, I don't even know how to explain it. It was magnificent even in its ruins. There were thermal baths in it. There were towers. You saw the remains of the towers. Dignitaries would come and visit and they had the best of the best uh, on their banquet halls. And it's all on this gigantic man-made semi-mountain tunnels all through it and everything. Take a look whenever you get a chance to see. And there is a theory that Herod is buried in there. That's where his body was taken. But if I'm not mistaken, in the late 1950s, when there was a, a um, an archaeologist went to go to this one very tenuously uh, uh, structured uh, hallway to take it to that, it collapsed. And it actually killed the architect, I'm sorry, the archaeologist And so, there's a, a theory like it's cursed, we're not sure. But that's secondary to the fact, in its magnificence, you ought to see it. It's amazing. When we went through it, I was just absolutely taken by it. Did some filming there as well. Josephus, Flavius Josephus, the great Roman historian, wrote of Herod's final illness. And from what he was writing, he gave a description that medical authorities today say, well, We can see some different things from what we're reading. Number one, Herod had a chronic kidney disease. And this pain could have brought on sleeplessness, brought on depression, brought on paranoia. But even more so, he had Fournier's gangrene. And on this podcast, I cannot even begin to tell you what this is. It is horrifying. The lower extremities, um, the uh, may I say delicately, the private parts become gangrenous on both sides. Uh, the uh, the rectum uh, becomes shredded. Uh, it's unbelievable. I can't even show pictures in the classroom there. It, it's unbelievable. And you can't sit. Uh, it is treatable today. It wasn't then. And so he has a slow death, which would be akin to leprosy at that time. No wonder he was so paranoid of everything. And they say, most medical experts would say, well, this would obviously bring about depression, paranoia. And uh, then on top of that... there's a description of worms, putrefaction, which would be scabies. So this one Herod had all of this in his final days. Let me give you an idea of what he had done, how this guy is known as the bad guy, and it fits right into this story. Go back to uh, 36 BC. Herod is making maneuvers uh, in uh, trying to get people in prominent positions. And so He takes his 17-year-old (coughs) brother-in-law, Aristobulus III, and he actually arranges for him to be the high priest. And so what he does, he puts him in, and it's accepted well. Now remember, he's paranoid that Jews like the guy, Aristobulus, I mean, Aristobulus III. And so uh, Mr. Paranoia here, Herod, starts worrying about this and so a year later, at a garden party on Herod's orders, Aristobulus is actually drowned in a pool there around the corner from the attending guests. You go to 29 BC and you find out Herod is, con- is even more paranoid into jealousy. The teenage wife Miriam the I learns of Herod's plans to murder her because he's so jealous. And so she actually finds another room within the the, the castle domain there. And so Herod becomes even more paranoid because of that, brings up charges of adultery. Now, Salome was his sister. And so she becomes a chief witness against Miriam. And then Miriam, uh, her own mother, her name's Alexandra, realizes she's going to try to save her own skin and maybe move herself up the ladder. So she gets involved in this and incriminates her own daughter. So Miriam, the teenage uh, uh, queen, is executed. Alexandra makes a very bold move, and it's bad. She declares herself queen, and she makes an appeal to the public that Herod is mentally unfit to serve, giving you an idea of how unpredictable he is. Well, he has her executed, and there's not even a trial. She's done. You go to the next year, 28 B.C., Herod executes his brother-in-law, Costabar. He's the husband of Salome. The charges are conspiracy. He has him executed. Go to 8 B.C., Herod accused his sons, the sons he had from Miriam, of high treason, and then he has a court against them, in what is now in the area of Beirut, before a Roman court, and they indeed are executed as well. We get an idea, we have somebody that's unstable. The famous story, you can read it yourself, I'll give it to you very quickly, that when he knew he was dying, he called all of the dignitaries together, all of the leaders, had them come in uh, to an invitation over uh, to his castle. And he had them all sequestered and surrounded by guards, under the instruction that, when I die, execute all of these leaders. It would be the equivalent of all the senators and representatives, in our in our court today. They were all to be all these high names and everything. Well, the time came when he was to die, and he said, "This they may not rejoice at my passing, but they will remember my passing as a day of mourning because I'm going to have everybody else uh, killed." When he passes. It's just a day of relief, and the armies refuse to carry out the order, and everybody goes home to great relief. Yeah, interesting story there. This is Herod. This is the Herod of the of the story. We're understanding this is a very wicked king at the time of Christ's birth. And so you get a bit of a background to understand how really unstable life was. And so his paranoia when they say, We've come to worship the the real king of Jews. He's been killing people indiscriminately, and so all of Jerusalem finds out he's agitated. They become paranoid themselves. Is he going to go after our neighborhood, our people, and such? And so uh, we see that going on. Well, there's more I can say, but I see I'm already out of time. So we're going to continue in our Christmas countdown, the Advent, in learning about different things about the nativity you may not have known. Hey, this is Brad Zockel. Thank you so much for being with me, and Lord willing, we'll talk soon. In order for the Heaven Tour to continue fulfilling our mission, we humbly ask for your support. Your generosity allows us to continue to proclaim and explain the biblical truth of heaven and to mentor many. All eligible donations are tax-deductible, so please prayerfully consider an end-of-year gift. You can send your gift to the Heaven Tour P.O. Box 795 Pickens, South Carolina 29671. Thank you and have a blessed Thanksgiving.